from you know, weeks to days to a day maybe, how you deal with skew growth and skew churn, how you uh, deal with product security and all these things that ASRS systems bring value to you and allow you to build that into your, your justification. Some are easier than others to justify, some are more subjective. Uh, so, obviously, before you even start, is an ASRS solution uh, relevant for your business? Uh, what type of justification do you need? I mean, different companies use different justifications. Is it an ROI, does TCO, an IRR? All of these have different ways of being looked at from a, from a company perspective. You know, we can talk generically about it, but you need to understand internally what are the drivers for your company and what are the, drive, what are the types of uh, justification they need to use and make sure that those justifications are, are, are built in those terms. Um, and then, of course, what I started to talk about, which is you know, what, are, what are the key drivers that the ARS, ASRS brings to your business? Mohan. that uh, talk about why, why do you need to automate your storage? Just a few things to look at, uh, and we'll go through those, uh, the why, the how, and the where a little bit before I pass it on. So, so why, why do we need uh, to automate the storage and retrieval process, right? So. There are obvious reasons, the direct and indirect labor savings, which we talk about the optimized worker economics, um, safety, um, and it changes the organizational performance culture. Um, you can maximize your order fulfillment rate um, and convert your operations to a more software-driven operation, which is what a lot of uh, companies are looking to do. Another reason why we look at uh, ASRS systems is, for, is to optimize their building footprint, maybe shrink the footprint, um, reduce cubic space energy savings, especially if you're a climate-controlled uh, warehouse operator, um, control of the downtime. Um, it also forces a lot of operational discipline, which is an important factor. Uh, also eliminates a lot of the physical inventory counting uh, which is involved in uh, a lot of these systems. Uh, improved order accuracy is another thing we talk about. Uh, improved product integrity. Um, there's a lot of damage to and pilferage of product which can be avoided by automated storage and retrieval systems. Uh, control of quarantined product because um, it's a software driven operation. Uh, and FIFO uh, inventory rotation if, if needed. So uh, when you're ready to talk about ASRS justification, there's a whole host of technologies out there, as you can see in that slide. And the question often asked is, how much automation do I need? And oftentimes, you know, there's a curve which looks something like this. It's a very simplified curve. Uh, you can uh, go with a high level of automation, what we call over-automated, which may not be optimal for you. 
or you can be under automated. And really what you're trying to get to is the optimal automation needed for your site. And one of the best ways I've seen for, to do that is to, you know, you saw some of the people on the, on the ASRS uh, group and, and those people can actually help you determine that optimal point. Uh, another criteria which we talk about is where do we put this ASRS system? Do I go with a brownfield, which is an existing site, I carve out a space in my existing building and do this, or do I build a new building, right? So when we talk about brownfield, there's obvious advantages that the capex is lower, uh, the spending is lower because you, you already have the building. Uh, you're using the same footprint, geographic footprint, uh, so your transportation costs are known. Uh, you know the labor market in the area. Um, and also the realization timeline is much faster because you don't have a building that you have to build. So what are the challenges with brownfield um, uh, sites? Well, um, you have to deal with existing buildings and columns, as you see there in, the, in those pictures, and so you have to work around them. You may not have a nice regular sh uh, floor space available. It may be irregular shaped. You could have sloped or stepped ceilings, and you may have floor conditions that, you may have floor conditions that are not optimal. Um, and and the other thing which is a big concern also is you're disrupting existing operations, right? So. Um, these are challenges, but there are a lot of providers who have products that can work around these challenges. So, and the key thing is to consult with uh, some of these, these uh, companies who you saw earlier on. And what are the, uh, now going over to Greenfield, um, the advantages are that you could pick an optimal geographic location uh, where you can be either nearer to the customer or the supplier base. Um, you, can, you, can, you don't have as much limitations for footprint. Um, you're not limited. Um, the selection can be based on capacity and or throughput. Sometimes in a brownfield, you don't have those options. Uh, and you have flexible layout options. Um, and also, you can plan the expansions ahead of time. Uh, well, what are the challenges of Greenfield? Well, higher capex. Um, it's a higher spending because you have to go through longer realization timelines because you have um, acquisition, land acquisition, permitting, new construction, and you got to you deal with the weather. If you're building, say, a, a, a clad rack building like that, then you have to also factor in the weather. You can't start at a time like a winter time or a rainy season. Um, and you also now deal with a new location where you have a new labor market and the transportation costs are not fully understood. So those are some of the challenges with greenfield sites. Um, I'm going to invite Dan to now talk a little bit more about some of the lesser known uh, uh, factors that impact SR selection. Dan? Thank you, Mohan. Ah, you guys can hear me well? All right, great. Okay, my part of the presentation, I'm actually going to talk about a, uh, uh, a framework on how to actually put together a, an economic justification analysis. We're going to talk about that after I talk about these slides, just to give you a, a preview. Um, I think it's important to leave this, this 
this meeting hopefully today learning a little bit about not just kind of, kind of the highlights of ASRs, but actually how do you put together a model and how do you actually do that? So we'll get into that in a minute. First, as Mohan suggested, it's not only about labor savings, right? When, when you justify an ASRs, the first thing you think about is how many people do I get to save, so to speak? ASRs, in my experience, generally are not justified by labor savings alone. There's generally always a huge component that, that's, that, 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 that's not labor savings. For example, you're, 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 you're enabling something that you couldn't enable before. You might stay at a certain site longer, or, or, or you can build on that site because you can go up now. So there's a lot of other factors. Some of them, for example, are listed up here. Insurance, that's part of the labor cost equation, kind of in a sense, because you have lesser insurance claims, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the onboarding of workers is, is really difficult now. We're, we're at an unprecedented time right now where it is really difficult to find the labor to be able to work second, third shifts. We do a lot of cold storage facilities. It is difficult. People are actually not, they, they could be taking on business right now and they're not. And so that, that, that's critical. Healthier work-life balance. I mean, we have more millennials working in our company and I'm telling you, they, they, they're interested in, in an eight to five job. They're looking at uh, work-life balance unlike any generation before. So this is becoming more, more and more of an issue. Um, product security is an interesting thing. Obviously with an ASRS, it's completely locked down. You know, they're, they're, the theft is, 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 is really kind of goes away. So it's, it's important and, and useful to try to quantify some of that. You can talk to companies that have previously invested in ASRS and try to find some metrics on this, or you can look at your own sort of theft type of uh, uh, numbers and try to determine, okay, let's play some sensitivities. If we reduce it by 10%, what does it mean? Let's be conservative and maybe we can use some of those numbers in our analysis, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, and uh, uh, as far as the footprint and, and, and future needs, um, again, I said before, ASRs can enable growth. It can enable a site, right? People 20 years ago thought you build a warehouse, it's 30 feet tall, it's going to take up I don't know, 30 acres of land. Now we only take up 10 acres of land. Maybe that, maybe that square, that those acreages are now available at the, at the site, or the investment to purchase that land now goes way down because there's many more parcels available. We had situations like that recently in the Chicago area where land is very expensive, and a property came up, and the ASRS enabled that. So that, that that's sometimes very useful. Energy usage, if you're in a cold storage hall or do anything like that, you know that every time you open up a door and let all the cold air out, it's a problem. Uh, having small doors and only doing that at the pallet level and not allowing huge fork trucks to go in and out helps, you know, helps in energy savings. Um, there's sales advantages. You can actually market yourself as a much more progressive company when you start automating uh, the warehouse especially. Most companies already man uh, automated their manufacturing. The warehouse is really the next, the next step. Um, of course, inventory visibility is clear. Everything is completely computer controlled. There's real, the accuracy is phenomenal with an ASRS. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very good. Um, new customer value added services. And, and we, we see that a lot too. More pick and pack operations. You can, you can, you can what you might normally uh, fit into a million square feet may now fit into 300,000. All of a sudden, some of the labor issues uh, are, start beginning to go away in terms of Proximity, I mean, it's, it's hard to manage a million square feet. Much easier to manage 300,000 square feet. Okay, so th these are some of the 
other things other than labor savings that we wanted to highlight. What I'm going to get into now is basically a framework on how to build a G economic justification. I happen to have a finance degree. Most of you probably don't. If, if you haven't, this is a basic fundamental framework. There's probably other ways to do it as well, but it's a way that we've done it, and, and it seems to work very well. I've kept it very simple, and uh, hopefully you can follow along. So first thing that's important to do is you have to have a plan in a sense of framework, right? You can't just build a model in Excel or whatever you do without having a vision of, of how to structure a, a, uh, an, a, an economic justification analysis. And the way that, that we generally do it is you need to compare a benchmark to an automation, automated system. What you have to do is you have to be able to say, if I'm going to expand, I have to build a warehouse, I'm going to build this type of warehouse, which might be a, a normal conventional warehouse, 30-foot ceilings using, let's say, reach trucks, or, or maybe it's a VNA, you know, tur truck system, whatever it may be, but it's conventional, right? It's, th it's, it's things that you could have done 30 years ago. And, and you build that model, you build the costs of that model. Okay, we'll get into that in a minute. You have to compare the automation to something. Then you also um, build, you build an automated system, right? You, you have to work with suppliers or you have to find consultants and you have to do the work necessary to design and price an automated system, okay? That means there's gonna be a, a construction will be different. The price of the material handling is obviously gonna be different. Generally speaking, the automated system is higher, all right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have to justify it. it, was, it was, if it was cheaper, it would be a no-brainer. You'd probably do it. But it's generally more expensive to automate. Not always. We've actually had circumstances where it wasn't. But generally, it's more expensive. So the idea of the model is, um, if we're going to spend more money on the automation, what are, what, what, what are we getting back for that extra spend, right? And, and that's what we have to try to figure out. Um, when we build these, there are two categories of costs that we have to have. We have to have investment costs. We will have investment costs. Those happen in the first year or two during construction, right? And then we have, oh, I'm sorry, I, we have investment costs that are land-based, building-based, so more infrastructure investment costs. And then we have equipment costs. And the reason why it's important to separate those two is because they get handled differently for, from a depreciation standpoint, okay? There's some tax benefits because you defer taxes when you could depreciate things faster. By the way, it's not tax savings. Anybody that tells you you're gonna save taxes, it's not a tax credit, it's a tax deferment. And there's a, there's a time value to that. There's some time value of money to paying taxes later, but you're not saving taxes. A lot of people think that you are when, when, when you do that. I just wanna clarify that. Okay, so we build the investment costs, we build the equipment costs for both systems a benchmark conventional system and an automated system. We have to have both of them. We'll get into that here in a minute. I've outlined five steps on how to do this, basically, okay? We, we just talked about the first one, right? We define a benchmark and we define what it's gonna potentially replace. Benchmark might be 300,000 square foot, 30 foot tall racks, double deep, reach truck. That could be the benchmark. The automated might be an 80-foot tall ASRS with uh, order picking, automated case picking, who knows, right? It, it's going to be something different, probably something more expensive. We're going to need to talk, or talk to our CFOs and we're going to need to find out what's the cost of capital, 
CFO that owes, they'll tell you what that is. It's something called weighted average cost of capital. Um, it, it's probably anywhere between five and 12%, depending on your CFO and what, what, what their feelings are. It's basically the cost of what it takes for them, for you to raise money in, in your business. Um, that's important, I'll get into that in a minute, why? You need to know what your income tax rate is. There, is. there are some tax calculations that are done. So you need to know what your corporate tax rate all in. Um, and you, know, you need to understand how to grow your model, right? Because over time, things get more expensive. Labor's gonna grow, and you'll see in a minute, in my example, it's two and a half percent a year. But you're also gonna see potentially, uh, hopefully, growth in sales. So as you sell more, you need more labor also to be able to operate the conventional facility. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, we also then have to define, the next step is define the operating costs for both systems. I need to know how many four trucks and how many people is it gonna to take to operate and to run the conventional system. Because I'm gonna compare it to the, to the automated one. There's gonna be a difference, and that difference is gonna be very important. And when, when I talked about this, uh, the, the issues in the first two slides, ideally those get brought in. So if you have product damage uh, uh, savings, which you will with an ASR, is how much are they? You probably don't know. Well, maybe it's conservative to say 50,000 a year. I've seen a lot of people put a placeholder in. If your team agrees on that based on some metrics that they have about damage, then use it and put it into the analysis. Um, okay, the next thing, step four, um, project investments and operating costs are are, are forecasted out, right? Like we just talked about growth. If you know the labor costs are a million a year, you know that the next year it's probably gonna be a million fifty or a million one. I mean, depending on how it grows, maybe not that much. But I think in the model I used about two and a half percent for inflation. So you have to grow those numbers out in, in a model. We'll get into that in a second. And the last but not least is when you have those differential cash flows projected out in the long term, okay, you have to bring them back to the present value, right? Because we know that a dollar 10 years from now is not worth the same as today. That's called discounting cash flows. Very simple to do in Excel. We'll get into that in a minute. <clears throat> okay, so those are the five steps. And now, well, ah, okay. So, remember when we started, we said there were gonna be investment costs for both the benchmark and the automated system, right? So we have two columns here. This is a very simple example, okay? We basically said, we're gonna buy land for a million for the benchmark, but the automate's only gonna cost us 800,000. So there's a $200,000 difference here. I didn't write that here, I summarized it here. We're gonna build a building. The conventional building is twice the square footage potentially. The automated is, is less, but it's not half the cost, right? Because it's higher. So it's, it's, it's gonna come in at around four million in this example. Now we look at equipment costs. We're gonna buy racks, right? We're gonna buy racks for a million. But this one is a rack-supported building and the cost of the rack is a lot more. So it's properly shown here, right? We're gonna buy machines that we don't need in the conventional. We're gonna buy potentially, the, in this case, in this example, the storage retrieval machines for a million five. We're gonna, we're gonna need a conveying system here, right? That's the automation you're, you're buying. Uh, we're gonna buy four trucks here for a half a million dollars. We don't need them here because we're only loading trucks, let's say, with the four trucks. Um, we have computer hardware software costs for both systems as well. So when you add it all up, in this particular example, we found an investment cost differential of 4.2 million. It's a difference between 7.7 .7 and 11.9. 
So if you ask yourself, if you build this model this way, you're going you're gonna to say, how do I justify that? Because I'd love to do this. The question is, how do I go to the CFO suite or the C-suite and sell this idea of automating, right? I got to be able to justify this number right here based on this model. Is that? Okay. Remember, step two before when I summarized it, we talked about define the weighted average cost of capital, okay? I used 8%. That's the rate that you discount cash flows on, for the example. If I'm not going to get into the reason why that is. You can just kind of study that up. But you need, you need a cost of capital to do any kind of discounted cash flow analysis. Income tax rate uh, for your company, you know, it's going to be federal plus state tax. Or uh, I just put 33% in this example. Um, inflation, that's basically what we're going to grow the labor at. Okay, so if you have labor at X, you're going to grow at 2.5% compounded every year there. Uh, uh, you know, for the duration of the analysis. And then the other thing is, what are you growing at, right? Your business is likely growing, otherwise you wouldn't be investing. 3% is, you know, it's a typical growth rate, but you'll be amazed that when those, that, those, that case volume grows by 3% compounded every year, it, it, it has an, a profound impact on the modeling. It's very important to include that. Okay, so now, these are the operating costs, so, right? So before the slide, what we had was investment costs. That's what you got to lay out and shell out in the beginning, right? Now we get into the operating costs, which are the things that get to pay for that. The operating costs are built in a similar way. You have the benchmark and you have the automated, right? So we know labor is a big one. It's going to cost a million five to operate the benchmark facility. It's going to cost 500,000 to operate the automated system in this example. The same thing with all these other categories. Energy, there's a difference, right? I know estimating those is not always so easy. That's where we got to do our homework. If it was easy, everybody would do it. So there's a little bit of work involved in trying to get some of these numbers. There's that product damage again estimate, okay? When you add it all up, you get to a number which you could say, that is what I can save annually for this, for this model, okay? That's my annual savings. Um, Okay, so once you, have, once you have that, what you need to do now is you need to um, take those annual savings, this is, this is what you have to justify, take the annual savings, you, do, you, you project them out over, in this particular case, we just said 10 years, okay? ASRs has lasted a lot longer than 10 years, by the way. We generally take them out 15 or 20, but just for, for this example, we've taken them out 10 years, um, that's why it says et cetera here. Um, and I, I just wanted to show the, the impact that inflation and sales growth has on these numbers. For example, if you go out to year six, your, your savings would be 1.5 million grown over those years. If you include sales growth, which you should, it's gonna be 1.764, which is pretty profound when you look at that compounding effect. Okay, and the last step is, is very simple. You do this in any Excel spreadsheet. You take those differential cash flows and, you, and, you, and you, you calculate what's called either an NPV or an IRR, net present value, internal rate of return, and that fundamentally gives you the result of, of what you're looking for. So, you know, Capital Budgeting 101 says that if the NPV is greater than zero, it's basically a project that should be accepted. Why? Because it exceeded the cost of capital of 
you're basically getting more than 8%, which is your benchmark, right? That's a project, that's a gold project. If, you know, some thresholds are higher, your CFO might come back and say 12%, that's a little harder to achieve, okay? But in this case, these three things can be calculated. Payback, by the way, does not include the discounted cash flows, the time value of money. So we rarely use that. It's not really a very accurate way to determine whether the investment is really a good one. But IRR, internal rate of return, and net present value do that. Okay. I think... Okay, I'm going to hand it back to Andy to conclude the session. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Dan. So, Dan went through all the, the, the calculations there, but there are some other uh, aspects that by using an ASRS that you're going to get some, some value. So, typically, your, your operations are going to touch the products less, they're going to touch the cartons less. Access to inventory is controlled, so rather than just being on a shelf that anybody can get to, it's in some form of automated system where you can't actually get to it, you can't drive a forklift truck into it, you can't drop it on the floor. So you get this uh, two things. One, you're reducing your damage and you're reducing your losses because it's effectively locked away in that ASRS system. Um, you've got better control over your inventory. You're managing your, your SKUs. Uh, you're, you're reducing the siloed effect of your SKU. So you've got some centralized management and typically within an ASRS, I can access any SKU at any time without having to go find where I may have put it, even if it's one of those long tail SKUs that you may, may be at the back of the rack or whatever it may be, but in an ASRS, the system knows where it is, even if it takes a bit longer to go and get it because it's at the, at the back of the building, but it's still available. So those are sort of more intangible things, but nevertheless important. The other thing is uh, cycle counting, especially when it comes to things like auditing. Uh, you typically you know, have to, you know, every year you can do some sort of auditing depending on what your auditors want, want out of you. So in, in the old manual way of doing things, you're going to have to go visit every SKU, manually scan it and work out what's there. Um, and if, it's a, if you're in a break pack environment, you might even have to pull out every item in a box and scan it and just to say, okay, I've got 10 in this one, five in this one. That takes time and effort which is not really productive time in terms of it's not allowing you to fulfill orders or whatever else. So with, with automation, and again, with ASRS, some auditors, are, you know, I'm not saying your auditors allow this, but typically auditors allow that if, if you have SKUs in an ASRS system, if that box has been touched within the last 12 months and you know that's good, if it hasn't been touched within 12 months, you're going to have to pull it out on order to check, check for quantity or check it's there, depending if it's a full case or a, a split case, and put it back. So that way you get it. And with the sort of the invention of all these uh, goods-to-person stations, it's very easy to bring those cases to a goods-to-person station, check it, and send it back in. So you're not, you know, the, the amount of touching that's actually being done is minimalized and becomes very efficient. So you're not overburdening the system with uh, cycle counting. So these are a couple of things which are um, you know, uh, more intangible benefits, but they certainly add to, the, to your, uh, the benefits overall that, that Dan and Mohan have been talking about because you've got less labor to do these tasks. So hopefully we've gone through this. So you know, understanding about uh, your ROI, uh, understanding about equipment costs and operational savings. You know something about the lesser factors. Of course, you could talk to us to learn more about that. Um, how, to, how to compare it, how to present it in terms of IIR, net present value, whatever you need to do. Uh, and then you know, work with whoever your vendor you choose is. You know, hopefully it's one of us, but whoever you choose, 
uh, work with them closely because they can help you with this because they do it multiple times for multiple customers. So they've got a lot of experience that they can bring benefit to you as well. So with that, I'm going to open up the uh, floor for questions and I shouldn't walk around. So there's the three of us. This is our details. But uh, any questions, please uh, feel free. And I'm going to walk over here. Go ahead, sorry. Um, can be difficult. It depends on your organization. I mean, so some of those things, that if you've got, for instance, on the, on the losses, it, typically you're, you've got some idea of what your losses are and that rate. So you could say, well, I, by implementing an ARS, ASRS, I'm going to reduce that by 80%. You, you know, there's no hard and fast rule, but there's some sort of, you, you typically, if you know what your losses are, you can assign some percentage to that and use that as a part of your calculation. There's a mic there. Brian. Here you go. <laughs> is there a good metric that is a reference point to use for employee acquisition, training, retention cost? It varies from company to company, but in the warehousing industry, I find myself trying to find a good place to go to say it costs $10,000 to keep and uh, to cycle these employees or whatever that cost of application, retention, training, any reference information there? And then, boy, I wish I had a great answer. Um, I would say that m most of the time, um, I find that there are some analysts in the companies that we're working with that have done some of that work. I, I don't have, honestly, a percentage on the top of my head. I don't know if you guys have. No, we, we don't. I mean, a lot of it comes down to the typical processes within that operation. And when you automate, you simplify processes. So you're onboarding should become come less. Do I have a, a finite number? No, I don't. So, what, one, one other point about the this previous question um, I'm just going to make. We find that a lot of times the intangibles are kind of, you, you try to agree in, in, a, in a group setting of all the key people within your organization. It is hard to quantify sometimes, but if the CFO and EO and OO agree and it's conservative, then it, then it could then it could be in the justification analysis. If, if you can, if it's just your idea, it usually, you know, you, you got to pre-sell it, you know, before. We had another, was another question somewhere? Hey Andy, mine was similar to this one over here, and it was, have you ever been successful in putting a dollar sign on organizational performance culture? But I think you've answered that question, so. Can't, we can't hear. I can't oh, you can't hear. Microphone closer. Okay. Um, my question was, have you been successful in putting a dollar sign on enhanced organizational culture? And, and I think your, your answer previously, I think, pretty much addressed it, which is get the stakeholders to agree on it early, and then it's not our idea. It's the, it's the, it's, it's the uh, uh, owner's idea, and I like that. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it, it very much comes down to the organization, and I think when you've got the, 
the CX level or the you know the the warehousing level people agreeing on how that's going to affect the, the the culture of the company and, and then go from there. There's, there's, I don't think there's any hard and fast way of doing it otherwise. Yeah, the problem is if you don't if you ignore it completely in the financials at all, then it never it, there, it really isn't a benefit to anybody that sees that. So if you can find a consensus, even if it's a small number, I, I would put it in because then. Anybody else? Going three, two, one. Okay, well, thank you very much, everybody, for coming. Uh, we'll be here for a few minutes afterwards if you want to come and talk one-on-one. -on -one. Again, appreciate you coming to see us, listen to what we had to say, enjoy the rest of the show, and thanks for coming to Modex. Thank you.